In John chapter 10, Jesus is speaking. And we spent several weeks and uh, several sessions looking together at everything he said here, especially in these first 10 verses. But for time's sake, let's just center in on what he said in verse 10. Jesus said, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it, say it with me, more abundantly, more abundantly. You know, the interesting thing about this is everyone Jesus said this to was alive. Everybody in that moment, whether it was a disciple or somebody in a crowd who heard his words, they all had a heartbeat in their chest. And I think many people, and you see this other places in scriptures, they heard his words, but because they just took a surface glance at it, because they never looked deeper or beneath the surface, they missed out on what he was actually saying. I mean, think about it. If you've never heard these words before and you're standing there, you've got a heartbeat, you're alive, you're not dead, you're not in the ground or in a box somewhere and somebody says, I came to give you life. Well, you might look at them and say, too late, buddy, I'm, I'm alive. I'm, look, here I am standing here right in front of you talking, moving, I'm alive. But evidently Jesus meant more. Evidently Jesus is saying to us, there's more to life than just a heart beating in your chest. In John chapter 8, just a, a couple of chapters before this, you remember when Jesus said these words in verse 31. He said to those who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But listen to their response in verse 33. They answered and said, we're Abraham's descendants. We have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? See, there again, people are just taking a surface look, a surface glance at what Jesus was saying. And he's telling, listen, if you abide in my word, I'll make you free. And they're going, what are you talking about? We are free. Were they free? No. They were anything but free. That's why Jesus said the spirit of the Lord's on me because he's anointed me. We've talked about this to preach the gospel to the poor, to uh, heal the brokenhearted, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them who are oppressed, to, to set at liberty them that are in prison. And whether you are physically in prison or not, what Jesus is saying is this is the condition of you and me and the entire world until you meet him, until you know him, you're in prison. Now, you may be out walking around these streets, but on the inside, you're locked up until you come into contact with that anointing. But see, you've got to learn to take a deeper look at it. So when Jesus said, I came that you'd have life and have it more abundantly, evidently that should say to you and to me, there's more to this life than just being, quote unquote, alive. There's more life available to us. We talked uh, a couple of weeks ago. Do you remember us talking about the epochal moment? We looked at scriptures when, G when, the, when the word said, at that time, Jesus said to them, and he began to talk to them about the rest that was available. Come to me all, he said, who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Other translations bring out that that time was more than just uh, a time of day, a time of week. It was a, an epochal moment, a strategic moment, a specific moment in time. And we've talked about this quite a bit, but that the epochal moment marks the beginning of a new development, a new era 
You remember us talking about that? That's what an apocal moment in your life does. It marks the beginning of something new. It's a moment in time, on the timeline of your life, that's so significant that it changes everything. Life was one way before that moment, and everything's different after that. That's an epochal moment. And I really believe the Lord was saying to us that as 2020 was coming to a close and 2021 was beginning, that for this church and this body of, of believers in this family, it would be an epochal moment. A moment that marked the beginning of a new development and a new era. Well, to mark the beginning of a new development, what do you have to do at the same time? You mark the end of an old one. I bring this up to you because somebody sent this to me this week and I want to read it to you. This is a word that came to a man named Brother Jerry Savell. I think many of you know who he is. Okay, good. I won't take time explaining him then. But this was the word of the Lord to him some months back, and I hadn't seen this until somebody sent it to me just a day or two ago. Listen to it. I want you to decide if you think we're hearing from the Lord or not. He said, recently, while in a time of fellowship with the Holy Spirit, I heard him speak these words, a new era has begun. A new era has begun. And more and more signs and wonders will be seen in 2021. For those who will heed my voice, remember we talked several weeks ago about how to, how to get to this abundant life. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. He said, for those who will heed my voice and obey my words, they'll experience my goodness and my power as never seen or heard. They'll see the fruit of their faithfulness come bursting forth. They'll prosper and flourish like never before. Abundance and overflow. That's what they'll see. I'll bring it to pass because of their love and their obedience to me. No longer will their enemy have the upper hand for my spirit is moving and an outpouring of my power is coming upon the land. Many triumphant voices will mark this new era. It's what I've planned, so rest in me. Is the Lord speaking to us or what? The, the beginning of a new development, a new era. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. He's speaking to us. Thank you, Lord. He went on to say a few days later, the Lord spoke to him again. He said, yes, a new era is here. It's already begun. I've planned marvelous things for you in 2021. Abundant overflow is the order of the day. So rest assured it's on its way. Your adversary can't stop what I've already decreed. So stay in faith and get ready to receive. Allow no one to discourage you by what they say. Keep looking to me and I'll have my way. Then he said later on, the Lord spoke to him again and said, tell my people they'll need to remain strong and stay close to me so they'll not be deceived by their enemy. His attacks will intensify. He'll try to prevail, but my power is greater and it will not fail. Fear not, nor be fretful over whatever will come. The battle is mine. I've already won. Contrary to what you'll see and what you'll hear, 2021 will be a great year, a year of abundance and overflow. That's my plan, and it shall be so. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Did you hear those words? A new era has begun. I believe that's what you and I are in, in this moment, in this church family, and anybody else who wants to grab a hold of this word and say, that's mine. We're marking the beginning of a new era in our lives. And whatever has held on for too long that has been 
a thief to you or to your family, whatever has tried to steal and kill and destroy, take away and rob from you, I'm, de I'm declaring it in Jesus' name. It's over. It's over. And life more abundantly has begun. We thank you for it, Lord. But again, Jesus here, he said this in John 10 to a bunch of people who were alive, so to speak. So there's got to be something else, right? There's got to be more to this life than just having a heartbeat in your chest, than just having blood throwing, flowing through your veins, just up walking around. Those are good things, but there's got to be more to life. Life is more than just having a pulse. And it takes you and I possessing the ability to look beneath the surface. I want to talk to you about that this morning, looking beneath the surface. You're in John 10, back up to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, it's a long chapter and we won't take time to read the whole thing. But you remember in the first 14 verses, Jesus does this amazing miracle. People had followed him, this huge crowd, thousands of people, 5,000 men plus women and children had followed him, tracked him down in the wilderness. And Jesus gets this bright idea, let's feed them. Let's feed all these people. And he says to his disciples, where are we going to buy food? And man, these guys didn't have the answer, did they? They got to looking at the size of the crowd. They got to looking with the money that they had on hand. It didn't make sense. How are we even going to give them a little? But if you read the whole passage, Jesus wasn't trying to give them a little. He's never trying to give somebody a little. He fed these people to the full till they were satisfied. And we talked about that last week. And how what Jesus said in John chapter 10, if you look at the New Living Translation, he said, I came to give them a rich and satisfying life. And he satisfied those people, even their physical hunger, even their natural and a material need. Jesus, Jesus fed them. Again, whose idea was it to feed these people? Jesus' idea. Whose idea was it to provide for them liberally so much to the full till it overflowed and they had more than enough left over? Whose idea was that? Jesus. Wasn't the disciples' idea. They were trying to figure out how to give everybody a little. That's what religion does. It tries to figure out a way to give everybody a little. That's not in the plan of God. His plan is to give anyone who will call on him, believe in him, and walk in faith according to his word, he will satisfy, fill you to the full until it overflows. And you see that there in these first 14 verses. And then Jesus and his disciples go on from there. And this crowd the next day comes looking for him. And you see this in John chapter 6. Obviously, they're looking for him. They want him to do that thing with the food again. They even say it in John chapter 6, uh, down around verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, uh-oh, yeah, easy, easy, <laughs> thank you. That's a good friend who will do that for you right there. In John chapter 6, verse 25, it says, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus, he called him on it, didn't he? Verse 26, most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. He said, do not labor for the food which perishes, 
but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal on him. And they answered and said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? In other words, if you're not going to do the thing with the food again, teach us how to do it. (laughs) See, they had it in their mind. All we have to do is follow this guy around and we'll never have to buy another meal. This guy is money. We'll just follow him. And Jesus called him on. He said, you're not looking for me. You're looking for another free meal. He said, don't labor for that. I'll provide it for it, but don't be laboring for that. Don't make that your priority. And Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. That's your work. I'm telling you, there's something in the nature of flesh that doesn't like that. That when God tells you, here's your job, here's your work, believe. Flesh goes, no, 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 there's got to be more. No, come on. What, what is it really? Okay, yeah, faith. Woohoo, praise God. What do I really have to do? And you can tell, right? I mean, we're all about the six keys to this and the four steps to that, right? We're all about, oh, give, give me these things to do and I'll turn this key and unlock this door and ta-da, I'll have what I need. See, we're, there's something in the nature of flesh that wants to be able to point to what you have and say, look what I did. Look what I made, right? We even use those terms. I made a living. I make a living. And there's pride in it. It's sort of like the, the, the picture painted of quote unquote early man, me make fire. Me make fire provide for family. Do you realize that you pointing at what you've made and your success and all your good stuff sounds the exact same way in the ears of God? Me make living for family. Me work hard 40 hours a week and provide food for table. There's something in the nature of man that wants to point to what he's got and say, look what I did. But Jesus said, your work is to believe. Now, don't misunderstand me. Our faith has corresponding action to it. But it's not intended that you or I ever get to a place to where we point to what we have or what's come into our lives and we say, look what I did. We point to it and say, look how good God is. Look how good God is. And he's blessed the labor of my hand. And he put me in the right job. And he gave me strength to go to work. And he graced me with ability that I didn't know I had or even could have. What are you doing? All this is believing. This is your work. And Jesus said, your work is to believe. These people, they're funny. Whoever they elected as their spokesman was was pretty funny. He said in verse 30, um, therefore they said to him, well, what sign will you perform that we may see and believe you? What work will you do? They didn't even let him answer. This is what they said. Our fathers ate manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. In other words, okay, you want us to believe? Why don't you do a sign? I know. Feed us. They're still trying to get this meal out of Jesus. Can you see this? Come on, do a sign. Oh, then we'll believe. And that spawned this whole conversation between Jesus and these people that took a hard left turn, man. I don't know another way to say it, but Jesus began to tell them, 
Yeah, you know what Moses gave you? That wasn't manna from heaven. That was not the bread from heaven. I am. Now, you and I had the luxury of 2,000 years looking back on this and like, okay, I get what he's saying. But these people did not get it. Why? Surface. Surface glance. Shallow understanding of what he was saying. I'm the bread from heaven, he said. Now, he went on and just made things way worse when he told them, you have to eat my flesh and you have to drink my blood. These people said, what now? <laughs> did, did, did he say eat his? That's not the meal, Jesus, we came for. We want you to do the thing with the Trisket again, how you broke it and then the, and the fish sticks. And that was great. Can you just, if you'll do that, we'll be good. We'll go. He said, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Now, you and I are sitting here again with all this history and we understand. But these people didn't understand it. We understand communion. At least on some level, we understand what Jesus was saying and how he's made available to us at the communion table the ability to partake of his flesh and to, to drink of his blood. Now, nobody's gnawing on Jesus' arm. Nobody's drinking the blood that was running through his veins. But we understand all that. We understand the way and what he was saying. These people did not. And it says in John chapter 6, verse 66, well, even before that, that these people got offended. They said, this is a hard saying. Who can hear this? It's hard because they're just looking at the surface of it. And in John chapter 6, verse 66, it says, From that time, many of his disciples, listen to this, went back and walked with him no more. They went back. You might look at this and think, that's a sad day, man. The disciple... The discipleship program, I guess, if you will, of Jesus Evangelistic Association had really grown and, and they had a lot of new members and they were really, really increasing. It was great, right? Until Jesus starts talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And then all of a sudden people hear something they don't understand. They hear something that doesn't make sense on the surface. So what'd they do? They went back. They went back. Went back to what? Whatever it was they were doing before they were following him. Now the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that the just shall walk by faith. Then he said, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. And that's why he said there in Hebrews chapter 10, we are not of those who draw back. So if you're if you're walking by faith and then all of a sudden you stop and you start drawing back, what are you going back to? Sight? Living by what you see? Living by what you feel? Living by leaning on your own understanding, your own reason? Because if you're not walking forward in faith, you're going back in sight. And that's what happened to these people because simply because they heard a word, everybody say a word, a word they didn't get. One word. They didn't understand it. Because all they could do is see on the surface of it. 
It says, when they heard it, verse 66 again, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. I like Jesus though. He says, he said to the 12, do you also want to go away? Don't you love that about him? Don't you love that, that he, he, he didn't preach this message, drink, eat, eat, eat my flesh, drink my blood, and then everybody says, oh, we don't like that. We're leaving. And don't you love that Jesus wasn't like, wait, 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 stop, hold on, don't leave me. Let me explain. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to go to the cross, see, and I'm going to die and I'll be resurrected. And then what I'm going to do is I'll institute this thing called communion. And one day people will all sit around a table or they'll stand in church and they'll have these little plastic cups filled with grape juice. And these guys called ushers will hand out these little flat crackers. And that's, that's what I mean. None of that. Jesus didn't chase anybody down. Because they didn't understand. Because they failed to look deeper. He's not chasing anybody. As a matter of fact, he turns to the 12 that are left and says, y'all going to? You leaving too? Man, what confidence, huh? Not chasing anybody. And that's a good lesson for a pastor. That's a good lesson for a young pastor. We've already seen, you can't spend your time chasing people down. Wait, 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 it's not what I meant, it's not what I meant. But it's a good lesson for you too. There will be people that misunderstand. If they did it to Jesus, who do you think you are? It's going to happen to you. What are you going to do? Hmm? Now, if you're wrong, acknowledge it. If you miss it or make a mistake and say, Lord, forgive me. Even go to them, I'm, I'm, forgive me, that was wrong. But if you've got a word from God about where you're going and what you're doing and who you are, that's not something to apologize for. It's also not something to be rude about. Just feel like I need to say that as well. Where is kindness tied? It's around your neck. You can be kind and loyal to the word of God at the same time. But Jesus is not apologizing for this message. He's not saying, guys, I'm sorry, that came across wrong. I didn't mean it like that. He just said it, and it was on them. That's why he said more than once, take heed how you hear. Are you listening deep enough? Deep enough? Or are all you're doing is just hanging out there on the surface? I came that you'd have life. I'm good. Got some. Hear this? Boop, boop. I'm, God, I'm great. Thank you. Good to go. You're not listening deep enough because there's more to this life. Verse 63, if you were to back up, Jesus said, it's the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words, everybody say the words, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. So when Jesus said to Peter and the boys, are you leaving too? It says that Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? To whom shall we, where are we going to go? Now for everything Peter said and did, there were times he missed the mark, but when he got it right, he really got it right. Lord, where are we going to go? If I left here, where am I going to go? What would I be going back to? Huh? 
When you think about what they saw and what they heard and what they experienced. Things that nobody had ever experienced in life before. And yet you can, you can have these experiences. You can, you can be eyewitness to these things. But if you don't protect it and you hear something one time you don't like, you don't understand, you'd be amazed at how quick people are to disconnect from what once brought them life. Peter, though, said, where are we going to go? Now, listen, folks, he didn't understand eat my flesh, drink my blood any more than anybody else did that day. Peter could not have preached about that. Peter could not have stopped anybody and said, no, what he really meant was if you'd asked Peter, what does Jesus mean by that? He would have said, I do not know. That sounds strange. <laughs> but notice this, even though he didn't understand that, he understood this. Lord, where are we going to go? He said, you have the words of eternal life. The words. I don't understand the word, but I know this. There's life in it. I don't mentally grasp everything that means, but I do know this. There's life in them, their words. And where am I going to go? What am I going to unhook from these words? What words am I going to listen to? My own? Somebody else's? There's no life in that. He said, I know you've got the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. What did Jesus say? He who believes in me would not perish, but would have everlasting, eternal, what? Shout it out loud. Life. Life. So to understand that, you got to look deeper than the surface. You can't just look at him and say, well, I'm living, I'm alive. I got a job. I got a family. No, there's more to it than that. There's more life available than that. But you have to look deeper. And what are the source? What is the source of this life that he's talking about? That I came that you'd have life and have it more abundantly. See, when you understand that Jesus is making an offering to you of life, your next question should be, how do I get it? Where do I go for it? And he said, my words are spirit and my words are life. And Peter even understood that. You have the words of eternal life. That is abundant life. Yes. Eternal life is abundant life. Eternal life is abundant life. What is abundant? To the full, till it overflows. I mean, just think about eternity and try to quantify it. Huh? Try to, try to wrap your head around eternity. In terms of time, that is an overflow of time. Eternity is an overflow of time. That's an abundance of time. So eternal life is abundant life, okay? So your next question is, great, I want it. Where do I go? How do I get it? You've got to see the connection to his word. His words have this eternal life. His words are spirit and they are life. But they won't be life to you if all you ever do is hang out on the surface. You are going to have to see something in his words that other people don't see. You got to hear something in his words that other people fail to hear. Everybody out there heard, eat my flesh, drink my blood. Some walked away and some stayed with it. What's the difference? It's how you hear it. Take heed how you hear. 
I'd say it like this. Pay attention to how you're paying attention. Take heed to how you hear. Thank you, Lord. Go to... Uh, thank you, Lord. What do you have time for? Go to the book of Mark, chapter 10. This is something we touched on last week. And I told you we'd come back to it. Let's look at it again together. This is the account of the one the scripture calls the rich young ruler. This is when we were talking about having that rich and satisfying life. And it says in Mark chapter 10, verse 17, as Jesus was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Now, what you know, and I know from, the, from reading the rest of this, is this is a young guy with some money, with some means, some material stuff, resources, and yet there is this, this hole on the inside of him. He's not satisfied yet. If he was satisfied, he wouldn't have come running. If he was satisfied, he wouldn't have knelt at the feet of Jesus. If he was satisfied, he would have said, no, I'm good. But even with all the stuff, even with all the money, there's still a dissatisfaction on the inside of him. So he comes to the right place, the right person with the right question. The feet of Jesus. How do I get more life? He recognizes there's no life in the stuff I've got. I want the life. And he and Jesus have a conversation. And Jesus talked to him about some of the commandments. And he said, yeah, I know I'm good. I've done that. But it says in... Verse 21, Jesus, looking at him, loved him. So whatever's about to come out of the mouth of Jesus is coming out of this place of love for this young guy. Looking at him, he loved him and said to him, one thing you lack. Man, wouldn't you love to hear that? One thing you lack. Go your way, sell what you have, give to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. Come, take up your cross and do what? Do what? Follow me. When you study these words out, it literally means take the road I'm taking. Follow me. And we use these words so, so loosely. I'm a Christ follower. What does that mean? What's it mean to you? This was a personal eye-to-eye, face-to-face invitation from Jesus that not everybody got. There were precious few that he said these words to follow me. Now, every one of us since then has heard that. Those words have fallen on every human here and, and that invitation has been extended to us all. Follow me. Take the road I'm taking. Why would Jesus say that to this guy though? It's because of what he's looking for. He's starving for life. Now he's got a heartbeat in his chest, but even he knows there's got to be more to this life. There's got to be more than just being alive. There's got to be more than having a bunch of stuff. None of it's satisfying. And he came to this man in search of life. And so what did Jesus do? He said, follow me. Why? Because that's where I'm going. Where are you going, Jesus? To life. Where are you taking us? To life. I'm showing you life. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. But what Jesus said to him was, go, sell what you have, give to the poor, You'll have treasure in heaven. Take up your cross. Follow me. But listen to verse 22. He was what? Sad at this word. At the word. Sad at the word. Why? Because on the surface, this word didn't look good. 
On the surface, this word was not exciting. Sell everything? Give everything? What do you mean cross? Cross? I got to pick up a cross? And he went, what does it say? He was sad at this word and went away. What does that sound like? Same people that heard that word they didn't understand, looked at the surface of it, didn't comprehend it, said, how could this be? Do you realize that that is to me the epitome of arrogance? To say that something could not be true because you don't understand it. That's so arrogant. That's so prideful. Well, that can't be true. Why? Because I don't understand. Friend, there's a lot of stuff that you and I don't understand. It's arrogance that says it can't be true. It's arrogance that says it can't be good. It's humility that says I don't understand it, but I know there's life in it. It's humility that will just stick around. I'm telling you something, church. I know we're young. We're just, what, days, weeks old now. But there's a time coming. Can I just go ahead and give you a heads up? There's a time coming. I'm going to say something that you're going to go, huh? Now, I'm going to do everything within my power to seek the Lord and press into his word and never open my mouth and say something that is not true to you. I will not lie to you. I will not mislead you. And I will do everything I can by his grace and by his help to give you the truth. But if they did it to Jesus, hmm, they're going to do it to you. It's going to happen to me. There will be something you don't understand, something that doesn't quite make sense, something that doesn't line up maybe with something you grew up hearing or you've been told before. But can you stick around? Hmm? Can you just stick around for a minute? Would you and I be humble enough to say, maybe there's something I don't fully understand. Maybe there's something I don't totally get yet. Can we follow Peter's lead here and say, well, I don't get it, but there's life in it. I know that. And look a little deeper beneath the surface. This guy, if he had just stuck around, man, he walked away sad, which means he did not hear what Jesus was about to say. You know what Jesus was about to say? Nobody has left anything for my sake in the Gospels that won't receive now in this time a hundredfold. See, that would have made that whole thing make sense, wouldn't it? Oh, I see what you're saying. What you're saying is I'm not losing something. I'm sowing something. And when I give, that gives you access and you're going to give to me? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm on. Let's do it. Let's go. But he walked away early. He walked away, I don't know, five minutes early. This is just a few verses later. It takes giving the word time to see beneath the surface. You want to grab a hold of this word for 2021? The beginning of life more abundantly? Give it time. Give it time. Let it work in you. Let me show you something in contrast to that. Go to Matthew chapter 13. Sometimes I like to compare what this rich young ruler did to what Peter and other disciples did. You're looking for Matthew 13. Let me read this to you from Mark chapter 1. 
That guy walked away sad when he heard those two words, follow me. But in contrast to that, Mark chapter 1 says in verse 16, as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. They were fishermen. Jesus said to them, follow me. Now listen to these words. I'll, I'll make you become fishers of men. What does that mean? Again, I know you and I were sitting up in here and we've heard preaching on it. We understand. Oh, he's talking about evangelism. I get it. He's talking about witnessing and it's kind of like fishing, right? And, and you, you give people the word and they grab a hold of it and you bring them into the kingdom. I get it. These guys don't get that. All Jesus said is, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Huh? What does that even mean? If you're just looking at the surface, you have no understanding of that. But listen to their response. I love it. Verse 18. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And when he'd gone a little further from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat, mending their nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with their hired servants and went after him. No explanation of what he meant. No second interview. Nothing. Just this invitation. Follow me, fishers of men. And they saw something. They saw something in his eyes. They heard something in his words. And you know what they did? They left the net. They left the net. That was that rich young ruler's problem. He wasn't willing to leave something in pursuit of something else. In his mind, he'd be losing. In his mind, all his material stuff was worth more than whatever this guy had to offer. But not for Peter and these guys. They were willing to leave the net. Now, this is not a hobby. This is not something these guys do on the weekends. This is a way of life. Fish in the net is money in the bank. It's food on the table. And they were willing at these two words, follow me. And then this cryptic information about being a fisher of men. What'd he say? I don't know, but I'm going. And they left the net. They were willing to walk away from security, from a job, from income, because they saw something more valuable and they heard something more costly in his words. That's all he gave them was words. He didn't offer them a salary. He didn't offer them full or part-time positions. Follow me. And they saw something. They heard something. Now, wouldn't it have been funny if those guys had followed him but held on to the net, right? And Jesus turns around a day or two later and says, Peter, what's with the net? Well, what do we use a net for, huh? You ever been to a, you ever been to a circus or something? And you see those, those guys in the tights who climb the, the high ladder and they're going to go walking across that, that high wire and, oh, it's scary and, oh, it's so risky until you look down a few feet and there's a giant net, so is it really that scary? I mean, what's going to happen? He's going to fall and fall gracefully, gingerly into this net and spring back up. And oh no, he's got a runner in his tights. What will we do? <laughs> this is the worst that could happen, right? It becomes risky when you take away the net. Right? Why? That net is something to fall on. 
And if Jesus had turned around and said to Peter, what's with the net? Well, we're following you, but in case this whole fisher of men thing doesn't work out, I've got this to fall back on. But he didn't bring it with him, did he? Left one thing in pursuit of something greater. And all he had to go on were words. Words. And in Matthew chapter 13, I want to show you this in contrast to somebody who walks away sad. Jesus said in verse 44 of Matthew chapter 13, he said, again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. Now listen to this. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and does what? Buys the field. And that's what Jesus told this other guy to do. Go sell what you have, give to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. But he walked away, not with Jesus, not forward in faith, back. He walked away sad. But this guy, Jesus said, this guy's working in a field and he's digging ditches and he comes across a treasure hidden in the field. Now help me out. Where's the treasure? Is it on the surface? No. Where is it? It's hidden. It's beneath the surface. And this guy's just working, minding his own business, going about his own life. And all of a sudden, clink, he comes across something in the field that he didn't know or was expecting to be there. And he uncovers it, and it's this massive treasure. And all of a sudden, he gets so giddy. He gets so full of joy and so excited. Jesus said he hid it again. Buried the treasure back up, runs. If you'll allow me here to just kind of paint a little backstory that may or may not have happened. I don't know. But he runs home. He comes bursting in the front door, looking for his wife. Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? And she comes running out. What's wrong? What's wrong? He says, I don't have time. I can't explain it. We're selling everything. Everything's got to go. And he just starts throwing stuff in boxes and boxes and boxes. And he's putting everything. And this has got to go. And these have got to go. And we need all these kids. We're selling everything. And he's just boxing it all up. And she's like, stop, stop, stop. What is the matter with you? What do you mean we're selling everything? And he's, he's out of breath. And he goes, okay, I'll tell you. We're buying a field. We're buying a field. And she just hangs her head. She said, my mother was right. You are crazy. You are out of your mind. I should have never married you. And he's like, no, 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 you don't understand. And he grabs her and he drags her out into the street and he makes his way to the field. And there he stands at the side of that field looking at it. And his wife is standing there next to him and his kids and his mother-in-law. And she's just shaking her head. And now all his neighbors are coming by and they're just whispering they're like, there's that idiot. There's that lunatic that sold everything. What'd he do with it? He bought this piece of junk. He bought this field and he's standing there looking at it and he's just grinning ear to ear. And when everybody else passes by, what are they doing? Looking at the surface. This old dried up thing and you got a dead tree in the corner and a pile of rocks over there. Are you kidding me? He sold everything. They got nothing left. And he bought this? They're looking at the surface. Where's his joy coming from? Come on, help me out. Where's his joy coming from? Because he's looking at the treasure hidden beneath. 
what's beneath the surface. That's what he's got his eyes on. And in that moment, he decides this treasure is worth everything I've got and then some. And what he's decided is this treasure can replace everything I've got and then it can add to me what I don't have. It can add to me what I need, what I desire. This treasure, it's so massive. And now he's bought the field and he owns the field. He, that means he owns what's on top and he owns everything beneath the surface. That's why this guy is so full of joy. Not because of what the surface looks like, but because of what's hidden beneath it. And Jesus goes on, he says in the next verse, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl, somebody say one pearl, one pearl of great price went and sold all that he had and bought what? One pearl. You can't live in a pearl. You can't drive a pearl. You can't wear a pearl. You can't eat. Oh, I actually wear one. But you can't eat a pearl. You can wear a pearl, but it'd help if you had other stuff on too. You know, I mean, come on. But it was so beautiful. This guy found so much beauty in it. He said, because of its beauty alone, it's worth everything I've got. And what I don't have, it can add to me. The value in it, the beauty of it. Now we look at the surface and you think, crazy, 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 crazy. It, you and I would be hard pressed to think of one thing, one thing that you could sell everything for and buy and, and, and get that one thing to meet your need. I mean, you might could sell everything and what, buy a fancy car? But then what? You ain't got no house to park it in front of, in front of? You're not letting anybody eat inside it, so now you're starving. And you sold all your clothes, so you can't get out of the car. This thing can't do anything for you. You and I would have a hard time coming up with one thing that's worth everything you've got. And if you were to sell everything to get whatever it was, you'd be crazy. But Jesus said there is one thing. He said the kingdom of heaven it's like a treasure and it's buried beneath the surface. In other words, you've got to go looking for it out of a hunger, out of a desire. You go looking for it. And when you find it, it's worth everything you've got. It's worth going all in for. And I love that it says for joy over it. That rich young ruler walked away sad, but not you, not me. There's a joy that comes on the inside of us. Why? Because we see something the rest of this world doesn't see. When you hear the words of Jesus, you hear something the rest of this world doesn't hear. The rest of this world looks at this and says, it's an ancient book with a bunch of outdated ideas, maybe some moralistic things about you, things you could put in your life, but, but in general, it's just outdated, it's old. But when you look at it, you see something else. You see something else. Religion looks at the book and says, yeah, it's just a bunch of do's, a bunch of don'ts. Who's got time for that? You look at it and you go, no, 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 no. It's my life. These words are my life. How could one person look at it and call it a waste 
and another person look at it and say, it's my life and worth everything I've got. It's because you're looking beneath the surface. You see something they don't see. You hear something they don't hear. You know what the psalmist said? Put that up there for us, guys. Psalm 119, verse 162. Psalm 119, 162. He said this. I rejoice at your word. How? As one who finds great treasure. I rejoice at what? At your word. At your word. Now, it'd be easy to rejoice at a box of gold. Look what I found. It'd be easy to rejoice at a box full of money. Yeah, that's easy. Because on the surface, you get the value of it, right? I read a story one time about, about a man whose uh, grandparents, I think, had passed away. And he went back to their home along with his, uh, I think, cousins and aunt and different family members to help clean out the house. And he was up in the attic and came across a box and opened it up. Looked like it was some baseball cards and sports paraphernalia. And he brought it downstairs. He, he didn't know much about it. He thought they looked old. Uh, but he put them on a, on a dresser in a room downstairs. And they stayed there for two weeks. Until finally he went back to it. He remembered it. He started getting some of these cards out. And I won't bore you with all the names. I mean, it was... Guys like Honus Wagner, I don't know if you know that name or not, but I think, what, maybe the first baseball card ever printed? And it was one right after another just like that. He finally took him in to get authenticated. It was worth over three and a half million dollars. It's been called the greatest sports paraphernalia find in history. And it sat in a box in an attic. And even after he found it, he put it on a dresser for two more weeks. What would you do if you found a box of three and a half million dollars? I'll sit that there and get back to that later. Back to washing windows. Back to what would you do? But why didn't he? Why didn't he rejoice? Huh? Why didn't he go crazy the moment he saw it? Had no idea what he's looking at. Wasn't until later that he found out. Why don't more people rejoice at this? Why don't more people get excited about this offering of life? No idea what they're looking at. No idea. Not you. Not me. Huh? And if you don't know, if you're new to all this, let me be the one to tell you, you have found a great treasure. You have found the words of eternal life. You have found abundant life. And it's worth everything you've got. There's not one thing you've got that's worth holding on to and keeping from him. The kingdom of heaven is a treasure. His words are treasure. And when you find them, you rejoice like somebody who found three and a half million dollars worth of baseball cards in the attic. Amen. Amen. Stand up on your feet. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord. You know, the thing that's always ministered to me about those parables, the guy digging in the field, the guy who sells everything he has to buy one pearl. It's easy to see that that's what we're called to, to, to see that kind of value in the word of God and in the kingdom of God. But one of the things that makes it even easier to see that is when you realize that's the same thing God did for you. That's the same thing he did for you. That's the same kind of value he put on you.
Help me out here. When he called you, when he graced you and anointed you, was he looking at the surface? No, obviously not. When God called me and gave us a, an assignment to do that, was he looking at the surface? No, no. What's he looking at? He said, I put something on the inside. I put something in there that's so rich, so valuable. You know what he did? He gave everything he had. Everything for you. For you. He puts that kind of value on you. When you understand that, it's so much easier to look at him and to look at his word and to look at his things and go, yeah, and I put the same value on you, Lord Jesus. And when you hear something, you read something, you don't totally get it. You're not quick to unhook from it, right? You're willing to give in time. You're willing to maybe humble yourself a little bit and say, okay, maybe there's something I don't see yet. Maybe there's something I don't get yet, but I'm willing, Lord. I know this, your word is full of life. Your word is full of life, more abundant. Your word is full of life eternal. It's precious to me. It's a treasure to me. And if there's something I don't yet see, I'm going to stay right here until I see it. I'm not unhooking from you. I'm not unhooking from this family. I'm not unhooking from the people you've hooked me up with and connected me to. I will not disconnect from this life. It means too much to me. Can you see what I'm showing you here? This is what you do because it's coming. You know it's coming. You know there's something coming that you hear and you don't totally get it. Listen, if all you ever hear from God is something you expected to hear or wanted to hear, you ain't listening good enough. Because he will say some things to you that will challenge you, that will challenge tradition, that will challenge old ways of thinking. And if you're not open to it, you will turn away and walk away sad. But if you'll just be open to it and just say, I know there's treasure in here somewhere. I know there's, there's value in here somewhere and I ain't leaving till I find it. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the Legacy TV podcast. We hope you enjoyed this. And if you'd like to hear more of Jeremy and Sarah, subscribe to this podcast and download the Legacy Studios app. From there, you'll have access to the Legacy Television broadcast, the Legacy Letter magazine, and so much more. You can also visit pearsonsministries.com to contact us directly and find out how you can get involved with everything that's happening here at Legacy Studios. Be blessed today. We love you. Remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.